Turb Alpin, T1 of Brass. I'm Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraphs Audio. The guest in this edition of uh, Fangraphs Audio is Managing Editor Dave Cameron. Here is an annotated version of what you're about to hear. Uh, if you're interested in baseball talk exclusively, skip ahead uh, from the, from here approximately by four and a half minutes. I'd say probably about four and a half minutes. Uh, if you want to hear some idle chatter, uh, some idle chatter about the meaning of names uh, and also the uh, the Christmas breaks, the uh, holiday breaks of both uh, guest and host, then don't skip ahead at all because that's what happens at the beginning. Otherwise, it's about uh, Masahiro Tanaka, uh, whatever is happening with Nelson Cruz, mm, and maybe uh, just the briefest bit of Hall of Fame discussion because that's very difficult. It's a very difficult conversation to have, uh, except when you remember that Frank Thomas was so good. Uh, he was so good when he when he was, especially at the beginning. He was so good, just a giant person. Otherwise, all, everything else I just said. This Fangraphs audio features Dave Cameron. He's a managing editor. He manages and he edits simultaneously. Can you believe it? it? Begins right now. Now that's part of posterity. <laughs> I'm glad we we recorded that. How you doing, Dave Cameron? I'm good. How are you? Good, 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 good. Yeah, pretty good. How was New Year's in France? Um, it was. Uh, <clears throat> went over to. Uh, we were in Rennes. We spent some time in Rennes. I mentioned that right. before. I left for Rennes. Right. Yeah, we did that, and uh, it was fine. I ended up being uh, going to a party with a lot of French. <laughs> there were a lot of French people there. And I would say maybe like a third of them spoke English. I actually talked with a guy named Ludovic. Okay. Who uh, spoke, I would say, zero English. And, uh, well, it went decently. We knew what each other were saying mostly. Yeah. Isn't he a rapper? (laughs) Oh. Is it – are you making – Ludovic? There's not a rapper named Ludovic. No, it was a joke. Who is the actual rapper? Ludacris, right? Oh yeah, Ludacris, right? I thought you were making it because there is actually a person named Ludovic, Ludovic Julie, who played. Uh, it's a French football player who played for Barcelona for a number of years. Yeah, I wouldn't know that. No, I, no. And just so the listener would know, that's like the only rapper I'm aware of. Yeah, right. Yeah. And he's no. and probably because he's also an actor, right? He's, I think he's, he does a lot of acting. Yeah, I'm not sure why I know that name, but I, I am at least aware of the fact that there's a rapper named Ludacris. Maybe I think it's Ludacris that that's his name. He's actually, yeah. Well, it's also it's also an adjective. Right. Yeah. What does Dave uh, What does David mean? Do you know? Like a uh, beloved. Uh, beloved. Yeah. It's, hmm. Interestingly, uh, my wife's name means the exact same thing. Interesting. Well, do a lot of names mean beloved? Uh, I think there's a handful of them. Yeah. Yeah. They always mean like wait a minute, beloved or king or lion. Uh, I think David doesn't mean king. He just was a famous one. He was a famous king. Yeah. Yeah. Carson means, uh, I'm going to tell you if you, if you don't care. I'm gonna, uh, Carson means son of the marsh dweller. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have a, I have a friend named Chad, which means ravine dweller. So oh, I, have, really? I have all these friends who live in low places, apparently. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's funny. Just Ch- Chad means ravine dweller, huh? That's, that's what Chad told me anyway. Well, yeah. That's a that's pretty interesting. I, that's a funny name. I th- I like that. That's a weird. Those are weird. Those are weird names. Yeah, good thing your name isn't like Carson Chad. 
Ravine and Marsh Dweller. I guess, yeah. I don't know. Why would that a, be? A marsh at the bottom of a ravine? That sounds pretty terrible. Well, not great real estate. I think we can all agree. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. It would be cheap to live there, at least. Yeah, that's right. If you live, if you were living there, you probably, probably left and you became, you probably emigrated. Right. Or you're Gollum, maybe. <clears throat> that's true. Yeah. That's true. You know, uh, I don't know if you know this, Cameron, but the internet usually has made a joke, um, in any case, when, when, when you're prepared to make one. And uh, with regard to Gollum, um, I thought I thought it would be funny uh, if there was a thing called barely Schmeagle. Um, it would be a play off the term barely legal. You might be aware. Uh, yes. But uh, barely Schmeagle, I thought it would be you know uh, enticing. But the internet already did it. Of course, yeah. there's uh, there's always crazy people <laughs> on drugs uh, doing things before we think of them. Yeah, that's right. Anyway, uh, oh god, all right, baseball, um, man. Tell you what, those Diamondback Zips projections went up today. <laughs> Is this you scrounging for baseball-related topics because there aren't any? Well, I tell you what, I so what I will do sometimes. Actually, uh, preparation has become uh, more central to um, my um, my preparation. My preparation has become more essential. I actually prepare is what I mean to say. But um, you've only you've almost only written about um, Tanaka, Masahiro Tanaka. Uh, the site over the last, I don't know, week plus. I, I've also written about the Hall of Fame. But yes, those are basically the only two topics that we've talked about or right. I've talked about in recent times. Is there um, is there a narrative regarding the Hall of Fame that has not been covered? <clears throat> um, probably. I don't think anyone has gone in-depth on, you know, Todd Jones, uh, <laughs> one, one of these guys who's not going to get any votes. Uh, I haven't seen any in-depth breakdowns on their candidacy. I'm sure J.J. Jaffe has done them. I just haven't read them. Uh, but yeah, I think in general the Hall of Fame has been, uh, more than covered. If you were to do, if you were to do a taxonomy of Hall of Fame voters, like voter types, how many, how many sorts do you think there'd be and what, how, how would you sort of label them? I mean, there's definitely, uh, groups that are pretty distinct. I don't think that you could just say, okay, there's only two kinds of Hall of Fame voters. There's, you know, the new school and the old school. I mean, it's much more, uh, of a color palette than that. I think, uh, probably you've got the older retired newspaper types, uh, who, you know, covered baseball in the 70s and 80s and still have votes because of lifetime membership. Then you've got, you know, folks who are, uh, tangentially related to the game who were maybe they were a sports editor in the 90s and you know for whatever reason the bbwa has allowed them to keep voting because they got their 10 years in um but they never really covered baseball uh some of them are you know not even really aware of the players they're voting for this is a small block but they certainly exist um and these are people who probably shouldn't be voting uh then i think you have you know kind of the the modern day you know normal tom verducci types who've been around for a long time uh, you know, veteran name sports writers. Uh, you know, some of them are, are maybe a little more, um, new school than others. Ken Rosenthal, I think, fits into this category of a guy who's been around for a while, but certainly open to, uh, modern ways of thinking. Then you have, like, the traditional columnist who doesn't care at all about sabermetrics and just, you know, is going to vote for Jack Morris and Lee Smith because wins and saves. Uh, and then you have the young guys who are, you know, kind of starting to get the 10 year line, uh, and they're voting for, you know, much more progressive candidates. They're voting for Tim Raines. Uh, you know, they're making cases for Alan Trammell. So, you know, I think there's a, a pretty broad spectrum of, of BBWA members uh, that have 10 years and, and thus have the vote. 
Okay. Yeah. You. I mean, you. You. You include your ballot. I think that I, don't, I forget if you limited yourself to ten, but I know. I know that you would. You would go over ten if you could. Yeah. yeah and and if also if you were allowed to vote, which you're not. Yeah, that's actually a discussion that's happening on the BBWAA or within the BBWAA right now as to whether they should suggest to the Hall of Fame, who ultimately makes the rules, uh, to eliminate the ten player ballot. And I think after this year, it's going to be patently obvious that that needs to happen i mean i think uh in previous years uh the the figure the number of people who've filled up their ballot and used all 10 spots was 22 percent this year i think it's going to be near 50 percent i think we're going to see an explosion of full ballots and a good chunk of those people who filled out all 10 spots would have filled out more than 10 if they were allowed to and i think you know it's going to be uh just an overwhelming tide of people who say i was not allowed to vote for who i wanted to vote for the hall of fame because of this arbitrary limit there's no reason for it Hmm. There's a uh, the, all the conversation that goes on around the Hall of Fame. It, it's it's like it's like going back to high school, and and even my high school experience wasn't even like that. I feel like everyone was more civil, but there's just a lot of uh, a lot of opinions. Yeah, I think uh, this is one of those. It's kind of become a battleground for thought, right? So like, I think the people who are really against Jack Morris being in the Hall of Fame aren't against Jack Morris. They're against arbitrary use of numbers, like, you know, best, most winningest pitcher of the 80s, where, you know, if you looked at from the 83 to 94 or 83 to 92, you know, it wouldn't be the case. It's just where you're drawing the lines. And so I think it's, it's not so much even about the players. It's, a, it's kind of a field where, uh, people who have very different ideas about how baseball players should be evaluated have agreed to meet in order to, uh, hash out their differences publicly. And the players are just a, an opportunity to yell at each other. Yeah. Well, uh, that's too bad, I guess. Uh, always like civil discourse, if at all possible. But, uh, you know, one yeah, doesn't get, not, not one possible. doesn't, yeah, you don't always get what you want. Right. Uh, not just a Rolling Stones song, I guess. I did uh, not know that was a Rolling Stones song, for those wondering. <laughs> uh, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, I don't, oh man, I can't bring myself to talk about it. Except for, is this Greg Maddox's first year? It seems like it is. It is, and he's going to get in. He's gonna uh, get and, and Tom Glavin's going to get in, too. I think uh, if you look at the vote trackers, uh, from like Roger Repaz, he's got Maddox and Glavin both over 90%, and like the farthest off these trackers have ever missed is like 10%. So there's basically no chance those two aren't getting in. It looks like Frank Thomas will probably get in too, but he's going to be a little closer. Frank Thomas uh, Frank Thomas was so good when he was playing. His numbers yeah, are silly. Right. Yes. He should get in the Hall of Fame, I think. I, I would agree. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. Oh, God. All right. Uh, to talk about you, we mentioned the Hall of Fame. The other, literally the other thing you've written about is Masahiro Tanaka. Yeah. You did uh, – I guess we, the, some ground has been covered. We know that, A, he's been posted. We might have known that last time. Uh, we know – we now have, B, uh, we have an estimation of his contract. Now, I'm sure we could have done this other ways, but you left it up to uh, – uh, you created a crowdsourcing situation for readers, and they said, well, like what, like six years and $120 million or something like that? Yeah, not including the posting fee. So uh, that was just his projected salary. We know the posting fee <laughs> – uh oh. Excuse me, the the cough will never <laughs> go away. Isn't this now part of my personality is that I cough sometimes? Uh yeah, so the crowd estimated that he would get uh, hundred and forty million over six years if you include the posting fee, which is pretty similar to the contract Zach Granke signed last winter as a free agent. Right. Is he as good as uh 
I mean, from what you can tell, I, I don't know. What do you use translations? I, I know you you were looking for uh, Tanaka comps. I, I didn't necessarily understood how you arrived at your uh, your sort of windows of your, your ranges for st- hey. strikeout rate, walk rate. Yeah, I, I made them up. I created them out of thin air. No, yeah. it's basically like, uh, you know, going off of the reports of what he is in terms of being a strike thrower, a ground ball guy who gets some strikeouts. I created, uh, you know, kind of margins that would fit that profile where you would describe a pitcher that way if he had these statistics. And, um, you know, certainly not guaranteed that he's going to have those numbers, but it was kind of a, um, painting a picture of if the descriptions are accurate and the tr- any skills translate to the major league level. Uh, I think most of the translations are pretty optimistic and think he's going to be really good. Uh, I think there is some reason for skepticism uh, and, uh, you know, maybe a, a pretty wide margin of error on these translations. Well, the cool thing I think that it, it has come out of your blitzkrieg of analysis on Masahiro Tanaka is this point, which is um, – is th- how let's see how thinking about um, or how you know investigating the amount of teams the amount of money that teams are probably willing to invest in Tanaka how that maybe um, compels us to revise how much we uh, view um, how much we think that prospects are worth that's kind of an interesting thing yeah, I mean, I think that for me, that's probably the most interesting part of this whole thing is that classically Tanaka is a prospect. I mean, the fact that he succeeded at a high level in another league is not that different from a pitcher who has dominated AAA. I mean, you know, the Japanese leagues are better than AAA, but the the point has generally been that a player who has not succeeded in Major League Baseball or not played performed in Major League Baseball is treated as an unknown object. Uh, and their value is heavily discounted, at least publicly. I think what we've seen is that teams have begun to recognize the actual value of prospects and are much less willing to trade them uh, for short-term rentals. I think we're, we're not seeing too many teams give up premium prospects for, you know, few years of team control uh, anymore. You know, I think teams are balking at the price to raise after David Price. Um, you know, I think... In general, teams are valuing prospects very highly, and now we can see a prospect on the free market. This is maybe the best example we could get of the question of what is a prospect worth. Is Tanaka as a free agent with all 30 teams able to bid on him? And it looks like the question is he's going to be considered an elite major league player. He's considered the best pitcher on the market, even though he's never pitched here. And, uh, you know, while teams may have some skepticism and, and about, you know, how his abilities may translate, and they might be giving a little bit of a discount, uh, for the fact that he's a bit of an unknown, they clearly think that, uh, you know, his pedigree and his stuff are worth betting on, and there's going to be a, a really high demand for a pitcher despite the fact that he has no experience, which I think translates into what we think teams value in terms of guys like Archie Bradley and Taiwan Walker and Jamison Tyon and all these other pitching prospects who aren't that different than Tanaka. Right, and, and I think that one of the, so you pointed back in a recent article to, uh, another article you've written uh, with regard to David Price in this case, and uh, you looked at Gregory Polanco, who yeah. I think is a um, is considered a good prospect. He's not he's not like number one to five. I think he's probably in the top ten. Is he uh, now at this point? I, I think in talking to people who are going to have some influence on various top hundreds next spring, I think he's going to end up probably between five and twenty on most lists. Oh, okay. Well, that's that's cool too. I mean, uh, yeah. well, that's good. Wow, it's good for the Pirates. Yeah, right. I mean, I think he's one of these players who might not have been considered a top 20 prospect a few years ago, but now that we are kind of getting away from this idea of, you know, 
player types where it says, okay, well, if he's not a center fielder because Andrew McCutcheon's there and he's not going to hit for a lot of power, then he's not that valuable. I think we can say, oh, Polanco, like, the speed and defense are going to be valuable even in the corner. So if he hits at all and he's Starling Marte, you know, that's a four-win player. Right, and I see that uh, the uh, Zimborski hasn't projected for almost uh, almost three wins. Yeah, and so does Steber. I think both systems think that he's an above average major league outfielder tomorrow. Yeah, that's well. That so that is that's very valuable. Yeah, I mean, I think you know, there's an argument to be made that Gregory Polanco right now is as good a player uh, with a better future than Shin Su Chu. Uh, if you were going to say Shin Su Chu's about a three-win player, Polanco's about a three-win player, Chu's on the decline phase, Polanco's on the upswing. If you were going to say which one would you rather have for the next year, maybe you'd take Chu. The next two years, then you probably swing to Polanco. For the next seven years, you certainly swing to Polanco. And Chu just got $130 million. I mean, if Polanco was a free agent, I don't think he'd get $130 million. Uh, but, you know, maybe he'd get $100 million. He wouldn't get $130 million. Right, 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 right. Because I guess well, at this point, what is the value of – and this is, this is sort of the question you're asking implicitly, if not explicitly, is what is the value of actual major league experience? Right, I mean, to to what teams are willing to pay? Because as you as you note, Tanaka is probably going to make a lot of money, and he's pitched zero innings in the major leagues. Uh, meanwhile, Shinsu Chu, you know, made a lot made a lot of money as well, and it, 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 there's a there's a possibility that he's being paid uh, just as much for what he has done as for what he will do. So the question is. Um, what is what is that value of major league experience, or is there sort of like um, it, it's not, it's not binary like that? There are, there are multiple considerations. Right. I mean, I think what we know right now is because teams can't spend above and beyond on the draft anymore now that there are you know spending limits in place. Uh, where you know if teams like the Astros or the Cubs who have some financial resources that they haven't spent and they're rebuilding and they don't necessarily want short-term talent, there aren't really ways for them to spend their revenues to infuse young talent into their system. So I think it has really significantly increased the uh, demand for this kind of young talent. If we saw Gregory Planco as a free agent, maybe a team like the Rangers and the Yankees uh, wouldn't be as interested because they're in win-now mode. They're trying to improve their team in 2014. But there's now a host of teams that have money to spend because of their new television revenues and the national television revenue bump. Uh, they have a lot of money to spend that would go bananas for a potential franchise player like Gregory Polanco. I think if you're the Cubs and you're Theo Epstein and Polanco hit the market, this is exactly the kind of player you'd want to throw all of your money at. Uh, you know, as a potential 22-year-old star center fielder who would be, you know, a part of your lineup for the next seven years and would be uh, a guy to build around. This, I mean, you know, they would easily uh, go over 75, 80 billion dollars for him, maybe over 100 billion. I mean, this is the kind of guy that I think the Cubs and the Astros and rebuilding teams that understand the value of, uh, you know, getting a guy's peak years, they would go nuts for him. And so, you know, when we talk about, you know, the trade value of these kind of guys. Uh, you know, that, that this is going to be the same idea of where, you know, it's not just, um, you know, a few teams saying, okay, well, I'll send you David Price and you'll send me your top three prospects anymore because those prospects could be shot to the teams like the Cubs and the Astros for massive hauls of return, uh, because there's no other way for those teams to get players like this anymore. You know, a thing that happens quite a bit, um, over here between, European football clubs is a, a team will just usually a wealthy team will just pay like a load of money right. to a smaller club typically uh, for a player, right? So like uh, this player now Gareth Bale, 
he was playing for a club in, in, in London, Tottenham. Now he plays for Real Madrid. And Real Madrid just sent like all of the money. Yeah, it was like $120 million or something. Yeah, yeah, sir. It might have been in Europe, whatever. It was a lot yeah. of money. It was the most right. money. And, and, but, and I, I know of instances that in, in baseball, like with smaller transactions where there are cash considerations, you hear this yeah. sometimes, cash right. considerations. But typically, it seems like this is not something that happens. Is that just, is it, uh, is that part of the, um, collective bargaining agreement or is that just, uh, is that just not a tradition in baseball? Well, so the commissioner's office has to approve any cash transfer between teams over a million dollars. So uh, a team cannot just send $100 million to another team uh, without the commissioner's approval, and the commissioner's office doesn't want these kinds of moves. They, they would much rather, uh, you know, these kinds of transactions take place, like the Prince Fielder deal where it says, I'll send you $30 million by paying Prince Fielder $30 million that he's already owed, um, then I'm not like transferring cash between owners. I'm just subsidizing a player on your team. Uh, I think Major League Baseball is fine with those kinds of transactions. They're not fine with Jeffrey Loria selling John Carlos Stanton to the Yankees for $100 million in cash, in which case they have no regulation over how Loria is going to spend that money. Um, so I think in general, baseball doesn't want deals like this. They don't want a transfer system. Uh, where teams are just exchanging players for cash. They want trades to be player for player or contract for contract at least. Now, at least it does it from a game theory perspective. If there were relegation, like a relegation promotion system in baseball, would that help to – would that be enough of an incentive? Because like I know like in, in England, if you get if you go down to the, the, the level below the Premier League, right, you lose out on tons of revenue. Right. And so – you could sell you could sell your you know your, your very good young players if you want to for lots of money but if it means that you're um, negatively impacting the quality of your team um, to such a degree that you will then not be in the premier league the next year then you um, then then that is going to cost you probably more money than you would have ever gained from a single transaction if that if that's such a thing if such a thing were in place in baseball, for example, do you think that uh, cash transactions, uh, regardless of whether they were regulated or not, do you think that they would be more viable in that instance? Yeah, probably. I mean, I think you know a large part of the value of a team to an owner is the possibility they can sell and make a pretty large profit. And if you buy a major league team and then you try and sell a minor league team, uh, you're going to lose a lot of money. I mean, you know, uh, I think the idea that that um, we can never get to a point where there's, you know, five extra ready major league cities and major league stadiums sitting around unused waiting for their minor league teams to get promoted to major league baseball is probably unrealistic. I think, uh, I just can't imagine that, you know, Charlotte and Vegas and Brooklyn and, uh, you know, San Antonio and Portland are going to build major league cities, put their minor league teams in them and say, maybe they'll play well enough to where <laughs> major league baseball will recognize us and promote us to the major leagues. I mean, I just, I think that kind of system is so far away from where we currently are that I can't even imagine it happening, uh, you know, in several lifetimes. So, uh, interesting system in England that I don't think will ever come to the States. Right. Well, it's sort of, it's sort of something you have to, I mean, in, in both cases, right, you sort of have to start with it. Uh, because if, if all of the, uh, if all of the clubs are approaching it, uh, um, with the idea that it works one way and then you change it, uh, then I think it would change strategy. There are other things that have to change along with it. 
Right. You'd have to, you know, let franchises know we're going to start doing this in 10 years. We'll plan accordingly. Right, 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 right. Uh, okay. Let's, uh, just some, uh, status updates. Uh, Nelson Cruz, Ed, uh, Sullivan wrote a piece in which I actually, did, I sort of like this sort of piece where he just said, um, let's look at literally every, all 30 of the teams and try and figure out actually like even a place that, uh, where Nelson Cruz would make sense. Right. And then, and then even beyond that, I mean, this is almost like kind of not even considering how much Nelson Cruz, you know, is asking for, um, just where would he make sense anyway? And then on top of that, the salary and basically right. is Baltimore. Right. I, but I think he glossed over Seattle a little bit, uh, probably because he, as a Mariners fan, doesn't want Nelson Cruz to sign with the Mariners. <laughs> uh, but I think those are the two realistic options for Nelson Cruz and Kendris Morales. Like, I think those, those two are fighting over two teams, uh, or, you know, hoping to fight over two teams. One of them will end up with the Mariners, one of them will end up with the Orioles. Uh, I was looking at, I did the, uh, in conjunction, of course, with uh, Dan Zaborski, did the uh, Tigers... Uh, the Tiger Zips projections recently. Yeah. And th- they're a team that, well, they're paying a bunch of money to, uh, to their right fielder and their DH. Um, but of course, uh, Nelson Cruz would make sense in either place. And then in left field for Detroit is Andy Dirks and, uh, uh, Rajay Davis. And th- th- they don't necessarily have, even if they might even be projected to be more productive than Tory Hunter, they don't have the, uh, the sort of gravitas into, uh, Terms of their names, as as does Hunter. Uh, I just thought the very anecdotally that uh, Detroit might make sense, but maybe they're maybe they don't want to spend money. That's the problem. Well, I think what we've seen is you know they're not going to replace Victor Martinez with Kendris Morales. I mean that's basically the same player. Uh, they already have Martinez as a switch hitter, uh, slightly underpowered DH who doesn't walk a ton but makes pretty good contact and uh, you know makes twelve million dollars next year. I mean that's basically Kendris Morales, <laughs> except for Kendris Morales you know doesn't have a contract right now. And you know I think if you were going to try and argue that Nelson Cruz is better than Tory Hunter, you'd you'd have a hard time proving it. Like uh, I think Hunter has a better recent track record, and uh, you know they're already paying him a lot of money as well. So I think for in both of those cases, if you were to say would Cruz or Morales be an upgrade over what they already have? The answer is no. Uh, and then, you know, in left field, you know, the Dirks Rajay Davis platoon is not necessarily the sexiest thing in the world, but at the same time, this is a decision they made to go with like a month ago when they signed Rajay Davis. It would be very weird for them to say, we are going to give Rajay Davis a two-year deal, uh, and then immediately after that, before he ever plays a game for us, we're going to take away all of his playing time, uh, make him a bench player, which he's going to be quite unhappy with, and uh, decide that the transaction we already made, uh, we want to undo uh, before it even has a chance to play out. I just I don't think we see too many scenarios like that where teams sign a player and then immediately sign another player to replace the player they just signed. Right, 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 right. So, so you think that? Uh, th- Pretty good odds that Cruz and Morales end up uh, some combination of Seattle and Baltimore. Yeah, I mean, I think the Orioles can, you know, talk down uh, spending all they want, but the reality is they're kind sort of a playoff contender, and they haven't done anything this winter. Uh, and there's no way they can go into spring training having done nothing. Um, so I think 
at you know at some point this is a game of chicken. They're trying to get the prices to come down and spend as little as possible. But they need a designated hitter. They need uh, you know some offensive improvement. And Cruz and Morales are the two best hitters left on the market. So uh, I would expect that the Orioles will eventually uh, determine that their price is low enough that they'll wade into the bidding. I think Morales is probably going to be a better fit because his asking price is lower because he can't play the outfield. I mean Cruz is not a good outfielder, but at least he can fake it out there. Uh, so I think Morales probably ends up in Baltimore and Cruz probably ends up in Seattle. But I can see a scenario where, you know, the Orioles decide they want some defensive flexibility. Instead, they sign Cruz and, and Morales is left just coming back to the Mariners, who, you know, love DHs and would t- probably take him back on a short-term, low-money, one-year deal. And uh, let's see, uh, among pitchers we have still uh, uh, Irvin Satana, I think, is still available. Matt Garza. Matt Garza uh, Garza was projected to uh, receive the most via our uh, crowdsourcing, our free agent crowdsourcing project. Uh, I, I guess probably that um, any of the pitchers are sort of waiting for Tanaka to sign. Yeah. Yeah, and Baldo Jimenez in that same uh, oh, right, right, boat. I mean, basically, they're all just going to be Plan B for the team who doesn't sign Tanaka. So I think you know you're probably looking at like uh, the Diamondbacks, Blue Jays. Um, you know, these kinds of teams that are on the periphery of the Tanaka uh, signing, they're probably waiting to see what Tanaka goes for and who they're bidding against in order to get Jimenez or or Garza or one of those guys. Uh, the Angels could be in that mix as well. Um, I think those are the teams that probably want to sign one of these kinds of pitchers. They just can't right now because they're waiting on Tanaka. Right, and then uh, and then this sort of dam uh, will break so far as pitching signs yeah, are concerned. Yeah, I would imagine by the beginning of February, all of these guys are signed. It's going to happen in about a week. Yeah. yeah. So uh, slow days, though, otherwise, so far yeah. as uh, the baseball is concerned. Yep. You know, it, it makes it a little bit tough at not graph sometimes. I know it's not uh, your favorite site on the Internet, but uh, it, it – well, I guess at the at the main site, too – for me, it's it's not terrible because I'm just doing the zips projections right now, and right. it gives me something to do. But just like, uh, you know, you just, you say what uh, what's going on? Yeah, I mean, in terms of trying to respond to the news cycle, is is not so easy right now. But I think you know this also gives us some creativity to you know branch out and do some thought pieces. And uh, I'm going to write a little bit about arbitration this week because a lot of the teams have now switched into arbitration mode and they're preparing for their uh, cases that are coming up in the next couple months. And so, uh, I think a lot of the arbitration prep work gets done in January and there's some interesting thought experiments about arbitration cases. So, uh, you know, not generally something that you would see on Fangraphs during a super newsy time, but it gives us a chance to write about something else. So, you know, I was working on, uh, you familiar with this Fangraphs Plus that comes out every year? I've heard of it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm doing yeah. the, uh, I know your, fa- your favorite column at Fangraphs is, uh, Fringe Five. Yes. And, uh, Doing a special preseason edition of it uh, for Fangraphs Plus. No, isn't part of your criteria that they're not on a top hundred list? Yeah, so I had to use some judgment, um, but I, I think I, I think it was all right because I think generally if you look at some organizational lists and you say, well, is, what is they, they say this about him? And I mean, I went pretty far down. For example, like you know, well, the Red Sox. So the Red Sox uh, system right now is. Uh, pretty excellent, and Staff, even yes. yeah, and like Baseball America has Mookie Betts like sixth. But he's he's going to be a top hundred prospect. Yes, precisely. Yes, and yes. so he's not so he's not in the list. Okay. So I said so that's that's what I wanted to tell you right now that I right. that's how I was pretty conservative uh, with the players I picked. So, the so only, you, why don't you tease a name and I will tell you if I think that this is a an actual fringe prospect or if you were looting the top one hundred illegally. Uh, 
Okay, well, let me tell you the guy I think is closest. Okay. And that's Tom, Thomas Lestella. Yeah, I don't think he's a top 100 guy. Okay, so he's he's definitely the closest. And you know, his, his, his projections are really good. But his of course, are really good, yeah. he's the sort of player to be projected. Like another player is Dean Anna. Do you think Dean Anna is going to be a top yeah, 100 prospect? Definitely not going to be a top 100 prospect. <laughs> but um, but he, those guys aside, I this is an early candidate. You know how sometimes... Like, uh, how sometimes I'll sort of, uh, I'll attach myself to, uh, yeah. to a player. Yeah. Early candidate is a player in the Astro system, did not appear, did not appear on baseball prospectus's top 10, did not appear on Mark Hewlett's top 15, S- touches 98 with his fastball, has walked fewer than 4% of batters he's faced, struck out over 20% of the minors. Uh, his name is Aaron West. He pitched at the University of Washington. Huh. Uh, and is he, is he a starter? He's a starter. Yes. Uh, is he going to be a starter long term? Uh, uh, most likely. I mean, you know, you can't say he pitched. Uh, what well, he completed high A this last year, so he's probably going to be pitching at double A. He's a very interesting guy. He had some arm problems in college, which I think, and then he was drafted in the seventeenth round, but he signed anyway. Huh. Uh, and uh, but he's uh, he's pretty good, and he's a he's a very interesting guy too. He. Um, he was like a political, like a like a world, like a geo. I don't know whether he's a political science major at Washington, um, and he knows and he taught himself Persian, or he studied Persian and he learned it. He knows Persian. Nice. Maybe so, he should uh, hang out with you, Darvish. Oh, yeah, that's right. Do you think you do you think you, you Darvish knows Persian? Probably is his dad Persian. Isn't he like half Persian? Yeah, he's half Persian or something. I don't know. So I would I would think if your parents are from that country, you probably at least have a general understanding of the language. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know anything about it. But uh, but uh, yeah. Anyway, Aaron West, interesting guy, and I think uh, undervalued is my guess. Okay. Well, I will uh, not be writing about Aaron West today. Okay. Yeah. My point is early candidate. Early candidate. Okay. All right. So you're going to attach yourself to a Double A Astros prospect. <laughs> well, if you can attach yourself to a Double A prospect in any organization, might as well make it the Astros because he's probably going to appear in the major league roster soon. Yeah, or be like their number two starter. Yeah, that's right. Well, they don't even have Jordan Lyles anymore, do they? No, I think their number two starter right now is Dallas Keuchel. Is that even how you say it? I believe so. How would you say it? Kuchel? I don't know. I just I, I, I watched him pitch once, and the announcers called him Dallas Keuchel, so I would hope that they were correct. Wow, that's yeah, that's yeah. So yeah, I would believe them, but that's not how I would have said it. But um, I, we should have you know Saris do a uh, special pronunciation guide. It's funny that. Because you, your pronunciations are generally good, but you actually pronounce his last name incorrectly. <laughs> I think it's Saris. Yeah, I like to call him Enosaurus. It's All more right. fun. Yeah, that is fun. All right. It makes him more cultured. Yeah. All right. This is uh, – we're, we're so done. Um, listen, let's hope something happens. Yes. All right. Very good. Thank you, uh, thank you, Dave Cameron. Stick around for a second, but uh, in right. the meantime, thank you. Okay. That's uh, Managing Editor – Dave Cameron, the managing editor of Fangraphs, I guess. Maybe someplace else, too, that we don't know about. Of course, it's Stooley has been Fangraphs audience.